Welcome to episode number 63 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring screenwriter Jennifer Deaton of the new film Jack of the Red Hearts, opening in select AMC theaters on February 26. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. And don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter at jogroad, Instagram at jogroadproductions, Facebook, Jog Road Productions, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Jog Road Productions, and you can also write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page under the Road to Cinema podcast. And now we join our interview with screenwriter Jennifer Deaton with some fascinating insights into the process of screenwriting and her new film, Jack of the Red Hearts, which opens on February 26th. You started off in the business, you were working for people like Laura Ziskin, Alvin Sargent, uh, you were working at Focus Features. How important was it for you to learn about how the business worked and to take on jobs like that? And how do you think it sort of affects uh, how you work as a screenwriter, both in terms of your creative process and even uh, for your business? Hmm. Well, I
I think that you can learn a lot by reading other people's scripts. Um, you can only learn so much by reading bad scripts, and you can't learn from reading bad scripts, but after a certain point, it can be more detrimental. Um, in one sense, uh, it can lower your standards, and it can give you a false sense of confidence, but because I work for Focus, I've really had the, the benefit and the privilege of reading um, so many great writers, writers that make me want to be better, um, writers that I consider all inspiring in, in the way that they write. And those, a lot of those people you've had on, on your show. Um, so I feel like the script reading has been beneficial for sure. And When you were starting off as an assistant, were you thinking about a career in screenwriting or were you just sort of focused on finding your path in just a general sense? No, I knew, I knew before I came to Los Angeles that the reason I was coming here was to be a writer. And um, let's just be frank, because it's the truth, it's taken me 20 years. And... Um, well, that could be embarrassing. It's just, you know, life happens. And um, it could be encouraging for some people, too, that... Yeah. Well, when I spoke to um, Alex Donlaris, who won the Academy Award for Birdman, uh, you know, he had been writing for, you know, 25 years, I think. He had done a little bit in theater. He was sort of doing many different things. And, you know, Birdman was really the one thing that kind of broke him out. So it's, you know, it's really a, it's a, it's more common than people think. It's not a, it's not an outlier type story in a way. It's funny that everybody, not everybody, but when you live in LA, it feels like everybody wants to write or everybody has a script. Um, but I think everybody realizes hopefully that writing is hard. Um, there's the strange, there's the strange um, psychological battles that that people have with themselves about writing, and even once they get those things out of the way, it's it's a real craft and a real art that takes that takes work to master. I think one, there are a couple things that I did wrong early on, or maybe maybe that's not the right word, but um, when I first started writing, I thought it was enough. I thought that I was a good writer because I could write really great character and dialogue. Um, but the truth of the matter is that doesn't single you out, that doesn't single out your story. Because most people who are really committed to being writers um, can write good character and dialogue. They're usually the kind of people who are great observers of human behavior. But the thing that makes your script stand out is great structure. Great structure can can do so much. I mean, you still got to have the you know the very very strong, unique, distinct characters, authentic dialogue. Um, but especially now more than ever, when there's so many things competing for people's attention in different different kinds of entertainment, 
you've really got to be able to hook people, and once you hook them, you've got to keep them up. So, so I think I'm finally getting a, um, an understanding of, of the importance of, of story and structure, and the scripts that I'm writing now, I feel so much better about than the scripts that I was writing back then. And also, um, I, I, I spent too long rewriting the same script. Um, I had sort of a mistaken notion that if I could just perfect this script, perfect my writing in this script, then then it would be, you know, able to advance to the next stage. But it's not real. It's I mean, you want your you need to work to get your script perfect. But there comes a point in time where it's perfect enough, and it's really a matter of is the idea, is the essence of it something that people are going to re- respond to. Yeah. And if it's not, don't waste your time, like, on this phrasing or this, you know, specific thing. It's like, get it as good as you can and, and then look to the next idea. I think, I think in choosing our ideas, it's not about, you know, chasing a trend. It's about um, finding what's relevant right now and what's what's timely that's going to again like be able to to capture people capture people's attention when there's so many things vying for their attention yeah well on on that point i was wondering um this is something that comes up for a lot of people who you know get attention from whether it be a manager an agent or somebody who wants to read their script but it's always the question is your script ready to be sent out is it ready to give to somebody and for you, when that opportunity came, how did you know that the material that you were working on was uh, strong enough and that you felt that you had worked on it enough that you could give it to somebody and have the confidence that they would be uh, interested in it? Well, uh, ironically, back when I first wrote this in 2006, I, I had representation then. Um, and my agent did not respond to the script. And so he basically was like, what do you expect me to do with this? So I was like, oh, okay. And I put it on a shelf. And I, it was never submitted anywhere. Um, so that's a case of being too agreeable, <laughs> I think. Um, I think the, the challenges that we have as writers are in answering this question of yours, knowing when you've done, you know, got to the nth degree to perfect something and to let it get into, you know, move it on to other eyes. Uh, but the other thing is knowing which notes you take and which notes you don't take. You want to be collaborative, but at the same time, you don't want to, you've got, you've still got to be an advocate for your material. So, Unfortunately, I wasn't an advocate for my material with the, with the agent initially. Um, but let's see, let's get back to your question. Um, how do you know when it's ready? I think what, what I recommend is you've got to, to keep a close circle of friends, reader friends, that you do each other the favor of looking at each other's early drafts. And um, and those those people, I think, 
I think you need to get a consensus, like not just from one person, but um, go to a few, you know, close of your reader friends and get those notes. They'll sometimes contradict each other. You have to sit with them for a while and you might apply those notes and then you might have to sit with them for just a little while before you go back to what you've done and see how it is. And then as you gain confidence that the work you've done is making it, you know, better and better for those those eyes where more is at stake, those eyes where you're really getting into submissions, um, that, you know, it's just like, it's like moving out in concentric circles in terms of, of getting feedback and drafts. Yeah, no. I used to, um, I used to read scripts too at a development company and a talent management company. And I think what people don't realize is that uh, there are so many scripts that are coming in per day that you know not only my eyes would read, but other assistants in the office would read as well. And um, you know, sort of developing uh, maybe a style of writing or you know coming up with whatever your script is, making it sort of catch the eyes of people is very important because there's just there's so much going on in you know in these offices and because of that um, you can't really expect any of those people to read additional drafts which is another reason to almost wait as long as possible because I think that executives find it or producers find it annoying when the writer sort of like a couple months later says, oh, here's my, you know, here's my rewrite of this script, you know, that you've already read. Um, whereas they passed on it before. They're not going to suddenly want to do it because you changed some sequence, unless it's like a major rewrite where you've applied a note that they gave you. But it's really important to 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 be able to like figure out when people are telling you why they're passing and it's just because it's not for them. And you can go astray if you try to apply every single person's note that passes on your material. Because people are, you know, I found in Hollywood that people were really nice. I, I think I've been lucky that way, I don't know, compared to the cliche. But um, they want to have they want to have a reason to say why they're passing on something. Um, whereas I think one of the most honest passes is we're just not responding to it, and and that means you know find who does respond to it. Like in my case with Jack of the Red Heart, my agent didn't respond to it, and fortunately years later I still had enough belief in the script that when producer Lucy Mukherjee asked to read something of mine, I gave this to her, and she responded to it so much that without even asking me to make any changes, and without even asking to be attacked in any way, just started sharing it with people out of enthusiasm because she responded to the material so much. So sometimes when you get a pat, it's, it's that you've got to develop that discernment to know when do you apply that note and when do you just admit 
going to like it no matter what you do to it, you know? Yeah, and also, too, um, I think, you know, even, like, submitting or, you know, being aware of, you know, sort of the audience for the script and what companies or what people would be interested in it and not sort of sending it to people who you know right off the bat it, it's not in their wheelhouse. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's like you wouldn't send it to, an you know, someone who does all action movies or who does, you know, certain types of comedies. And, you know, I think that's also something to keep in mind when, you know, people are uh, giving notes on uh, material that sometimes, you know, the script just isn't, uh, you know, right for their company as a whole. Right. And it's, it's so important to do research like that before reaching out to people. And in my case, because it was that, that first quote unquote submission was to my agent, we weren't a match in terms of the kinds of things I wanted to be writing and maybe the kinds of things he wanted to be representing. And I think back then I was more in that zone of being ingratiating and just grateful to have any agent at all. And I know a lot of, you know, other writers in my position probably have some feeling of like, oh, if I could only get an agent, if I could only get an agent, then my life would change and blah, blah, blah. But it's not so. First of all, you want to make sure that your agent knows who you are and is a match to that. And because otherwise you're working at cross purposes. Um, and, oh, darn, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> what was I going to say? Well, I think that's uh, that's very true what you're saying in a sense because, um, you know, agents, managers, um, some of them take on a lot of clients and, you know, sadly, or not, I mean, just realistically, the ones that uh, are maybe more high profile, that bring in more commission, that uh, bring in more money to the agency or to the management company will get the most attention, whereas the people that's that are just... Thank you. where I was going with that. Yeah, that once you get an agent, especially when you're a newbie writer you're still the one who has to do the hustling because it's not until you're bringing in money that you're really able to demand, not demand, but you know what I mean, like command your agent's attention and your agent will be spending more of his or her time on those higher profile clients because it, it's, it's just simple bottom line time management. Yeah. Well, I've also seen uh, from writers, directors, actors, different people who have known over the years um, who are starting out. Sometimes it's better for them to be at a smaller agency or a smaller management company just because there are less high profile clients and then they can get more attention. Where if they go to a place like CAA or uh, anonymous content, you know, they can sort of get lost in the sea of, uh, you know, of clients there. Yeah, I agree. I think like it's, it doesn't serve you to, to go after some big established person. I think one, one wonderful thing about the team that came together to make Jack of the Red Heart, we were all going to, we all loved the story for one thing, but we were all in a sort of a similar place in the sense that this particular movie, this particular opportunity at this time offered a next step and progression in each person's relative careers. For instance, Lucy at the time, the producer who found the script, uh, 
her job was she was working at a company that primarily did horror movies. And that wasn't her passion at the time. And this story, Jack of the Red Hearts in theaters February 26, was more of a match to her own sensibility and taste, a, a kind of heartwarming dramedy about a family, you know. And, and so it represented to Lucy sort of the next growing edge and where she wanted to go and the kinds of things she wanted to do, but maybe hadn't the track record yet to do it. And Janet Grillo, the director, had one feature film under her belt and, you know, a lot of producing experience and such in, 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 her, in her background. But she had one feature film under her belt that was smaller in size. I think it was maybe a $200,000, $300,000 movie. I'm not sure. Um, and so this represented for her the next sort of a, a growth for her, a way to prove herself on the next level. And Sundown Pictures are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful producers who, who came in and, and financed themselves. Um, Stefan Nowicki, Joey Carey, and Morgan White. Um, they had done a lot of other things um, and been a part of the team of producers on a lot of different projects. And I think at the time, Jack of the Red Hearts, I guess this was back in 2000. 14 when they got started, um, it represented one where where they were sort of taking the lead and the first producers in. So for them too, it was like, so when you're looking perhaps for representation, you want to find people who are hungry in a way that is similar to you, that wants to grow their career with you, or you can sort of grow up together. And growing up can happen at any age. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You know, it's all about sort of finding people who are looking to go down the same path you are and uh you know not chasing after the uh sort of established people because they've they've already you know sort of got on the trajectory that they're uh that they're aiming for and they're at a place now where they're looking for more work lifestyle <laughs> <laughs> uh, i was curious for you um collaborating with uh the director janet grillo uh how in tune was she to your point of view on the script and, and, you know, sort of, did you, did you both sort of see it the same way or did she add anything that you hadn't thought of before? Well, um, you know, it's such a wonderful privilege to be an unproduced screenwriter alone at home in your pajamas, talking to no one for years on end, because then your script can be exactly how you envision <laughs> But film is a collaborative medium. So, and you know, every single time a new, a new player is added, that player brings their perspective. And it's so cool, actually, to, to see up close how the final product becomes this collection of contributions from the writer, the director, the actors, the costume designers, the production designers. Um, as a first-time screenwriter getting her film produced, there were moments where I was like, what, no, no, please. Um, but, but that's just, I think, part of the course. Janet was probably, for me, the best director I could have had. Um, well, certainly on this movie, but 
specifically on like my first movie in that um, she really was great about talking through things that she wanted to be different and we would we would have story meetings early on where we would talk about things and sometimes um, more agreeably and sometimes slower to come to agreement and um, then on and 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 some of the, some of the, some of the scenes like I think of one scene especially in particular that I wrote after the story meetings was that one of my favorite scenes that came from her suggestion to sort of play up the the surrogate um, mother daughter dynamic that happens between Bonka Jansen and Anna Sophia Robb in the story, um, but. Oh. oh, so then once we were on, I mean, it felt like weird to me, and I think, um, I think Miss Morgan mentioned it on one of your podcasts earlier, talking about suffragette, how it's different in the UK than in America, but we know film is definitely the director's medium here, and so the director sort of has say whether the screenwriter is present or not. And I know in a lot of cases, the screenwriter is present. But I was, I was very grateful um, that on this first movie that has so much like personal significance to me in terms of the, the, the family and the story is directly inspired by my brother's family and the, and the character, the little girl, Glory, is directly inspired by my niece, Hannah. Um, it was so great to be able to be on set the entire entire shoot, and and Janet was just wonderfully collaborative in that we kind of had this agreement that anything that occurred to me I would tell her, and kind of jokingly I said you know you can slap me if you know you don't want me to, but um, we got into this rhythm where. She would see me coming, she would stop, and so attentively, like, stare into the middle distance to listen to what I was saying, and then she'd nod her head and go address it, like, if it was like, oh, we've got to make sure that um, this prop registers for this story point to make, you know, make sense, or we've got to make sure that this line of dialogue is set in this way as set up for blah, 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 you know, things like that. And she would nod her head and then go address it with whomever was the appropriate person to address it. And sometimes she'd stop, she'd listen, and she'd be like, ah, no, no, we changed that, don't about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's her prerogative as a director. So um, I have to also give credit to the actors because, you know, I think screenwriters, some people are different. Uh, I've heard different stories, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts where, you know, some some people are so comfortable with improvisation and other people are just rigidly other, you know, writers or writer directors rigid about, you know, no improvisation as I've worked so hard on these lines for a reason. Um, but I have to give credit to the actors, especially because um, comedy is not my strong suit, um, but some some of the funniest moments in the script, I did write some funny lines, but some of the funniest moments of the script were ad-libs by our wonderful actors. Um, Scott Cohen has lived a line in the movie that gets a laugh every single time, no matter where we are. 
and um, the teen boys who are Israel Broussard and Dr. Leo, they, and Janet was great working with them because she really brought out this sort of playful improvisation with them on set, that they could banter in a way perhaps that um, guys their age know how to banter that maybe I have less um, experience writing, you know, dialogue for them. So, um, whereas I had been very, like, of the screenwriter school, you know, write economically, sparsely, blah, blah, blah. She let them sort of have free reign. And, and, and audiences, I, I, I sit there in, the, in screenings and I look around at them like, oh, this is great. So, yeah. you really have to... Again, it's so much about finding discernment, knowing which battles to fight and which ones to let go of, because it could be even better than than you imagine. Yeah, I was curious um, for you and for the director Janet Grillo. Uh, you both have experience, uh, you know, with autistic children uh, in both of your lives. So I was wondering, uh, in terms of autism being portrayed in movies, in a general sense, uh, was there ever any discussion between you and Janet about? Uh, sort of the pitfalls that happen in movies sometimes about portrayals of uh, people with autism? Um, well, one thing that I wrote into the script was um, these POV moments of the little girl, Lori. Um, for one thing, I, we, don't, we don't have a lot of really difficult type tantrum scenes in the story, but there are some. And and in trying in writing the script, I was also personally trying to understand my niece and her condition. She's pretty severely impacted by autism and she has sensory integration issues. And what that means is there's things in the environment that we're all in that are affecting her differently than they're affecting me. And so by shooting these POV shots of the character, we were hoping to align the audience perspective with hers so that we could avoid the pitfall of being on the outside looking at a child who's having a tantrum and sort of feeling annoyed and distanced by that, but rather endeared and invested in what she's going through. Um, what other pitfalls? You know, the the spectrum of autism is such a wide spectrum. And I think, in a way, it's like uh, any time that, you, that you're writing toward diversity or a character that represents any kind of minority population, you kind of can face this sort of judgmental um, thing that this character has to represent every single one of the people who are part of that group. And that just can't be the case when you're trying to write human characters who are flawed and specific and idiosyncratic. And especially with autism, um, you know, because the character is inspired by my niece, it's, it's that kind of of autism that we're dealing with. So there are, um, oh, and, you know, another thing like pitfalls is like worrying about politically correct language. Um, uh, like 
I was about to say, you know, other people who are at other at the other end of the spectrum, which is, you know, in the past was called high functioning, um, is you know those people won't necessarily feel represented in, in, by you know by this this version of that we've depicted. But we're being true to what my niece's experience was as best we can. Did that answer the question? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, certainly there's been a lot of, uh, you know, discussion over the last years about, you know, portrayals of, uh, you know, not just autism, but all types of mental illness and in, in, uh, in film and television. And it's always sort of that balance of being politically correct, but yet sort of portraying the honesty of the situation. So. Yeah, and it's, and it's, it's, all different kinds of people, whether it's, you know, LGBT characters or people, characters who are ethnically diverse or people who are dealing with different conditions. It's like, as the screenwriter, you've always got to remember this person is one individual human being that brings with him or her all of that backstory work that you're doing and brings their specific strengths, their specific weaknesses, their specific affinities. Um, and always just try to keep coming back to the specific. Uh, I was curious, you were, uh, your film was in the, uh, I believe it was called the Bentonville Film Festival, which was founded by uh, Gina Davis. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, so I was wondering, because this is a new sort of initiative that Gina Davis has taken on. And I was just curious, uh, if you could talk a little about that festival and um, if you think it's, you know, very important uh, in terms of what uh, Gina Davis is doing to sort of, you know, bring more women, you know, bring more attention to female filmmakers in a sense. Well, I think it's absolutely important. I think uh, her, her institute and sort of the zeitgeist that it is a part of is very, very important. Uh, I encourage people to go to cjane.org. Um, to hook up with with her initiative, and um, we are completely uh, blessed by having had the opportunity to premiere at the Bentonville Film Festival last May. Uh, we were able to be there, and I mean, it's it's funny you don't necessarily think of going to Arkansas for a film festival, but they're truly making it. A destination, and I was surprised by Bentonville how many great restaurants there were, what an artistic community it is, and um, it happens in May, so people can can go again. But we are are definite beneficiaries of this movement in that in winning the jury award, um, we won the jury award. Part part of what appeals about our, our movie to their mandate is our story is about it's about everybody but the main characters are our female heroes um, you know we passed the Bechdel test and all that stuff so um, but also at the same time behind the scenes we have me a female screenwriter Janet the female director um, Hillary Sparrow with our cinematographer um, we have producers Lucy Mukherjee and Morgan White and Sarah Balducci as our line producer and uh, just our 
you know, other, you know, department heads or women and, and our, our men at Sundial were, were, you know, intentional about that. And that was one reason that we won this jury award was um, that I think our, the story appealed, but also that we sort of were, were a good example of, of what they're trying to do. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I've, I heard about that develop uh, a few years ago. So it was, uh, you know, great to hear that it's been uh, going so well. And, uh, you know, I know Gina Davis has been very adamant about, you know, trying to bring more attention to female filmmakers. And she, they also, the other award winners were um, um, documentary In My Father's House and Cow's uh, Library, I think, is how you pronounce it. Um, and so they're, they are, and they just were with the, I think, the African American um, Film Critics Awards. I think that's what it was called just last night or the night before. Um, so they really are trying to. Um, to drive um, growth in terms of of women and people of color having being more in the driver's seat of of creative material. And uh, I was wondering about the release of the film. Uh, at least from what I understand, it's going to be in select AMC theaters. Is that right? So they do they own, so they own the, the theatrical distribution uh, for the film then. They um, well, once we won, then they you know the, the appropriate negotiations had to happen between our our producers, and then I think you're required to take it. But um, but yes, they have partnerships with AMC for the theatrical release, and and with Lifetime, and um, with Walmart for DVDs. So. I mean, a lot of people, you know, dream of that almost impossible thing of getting into Sundance, but I don't know that Sundance gives you distribution. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> a lot of films this year uh, went home without distribution, unfortunately. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> well, I think that happens uh, pretty often at Sundance. We hear about the big sales, but, you know, every year a majority of films there uh you know, don't sell, or, or they maybe they sell a few months later, but um, you know, just a very crowded marketplace. There's just so much content, and there's not yeah, uh, exactly, enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I highly recommend the Bentonville Film Festival to people. And uh, is there any? Yeah. Prod- oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say that yes, we are going to be in AMC theaters, select AMC theaters, just two weeks from today, February 26th. Um, so we'll be in there for that week for sure. So of course, go opening weekend. And if uh, if people are looking for an alternative to the Oscars, they can support a film directed by a woman in theaters. Um, or if they're planning on going to the Oscars, um, they can plan their schedules accordingly. Um, but yeah, you know, we definitely because we still are. Uh, uh, independent film we really are trying to get the word out to audiences so 
Uh, we have a Facebook page at Jack of the Red Hearts where um, that's probably the first place you can go to get all kinds of information, including the theaters that we're going to be in. Uh, we're going to be at the AMC Burbank that weekend, February 26th, and um, at AMC Orange. And um, in New York, we'll be at AMC Empire 25 and Palisade, but we're also going to be in cities like Atlanta, Denver, Chicago, and and Seattle and San Francisco. So it's really amazing. We're just absolutely excited. Yeah, now that's a bigger release than most uh, independent films out there. So yeah. I mean, that's and we're we're very aware of that and very grateful and and trying to make the most of the opportunity. Uh, lastly, I was just wondering if there are any projects that you're uh, developing right now or working on. Oh uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I think it's it's like so important, you know, to to always be writing new stuff, and especially with this movie coming out, I've been making sure to do that. So I've been working on uh, a television pilot, and uh, this will seem like not the natural follow up to Jack of the Red Heart, but I'm writing this really big budget. Uh, supernatural action movie and it's only because I just had this idea that I fell in love with to sort of deal with some stuff that's going on in the world right now so uh, I'm in that that place that we were talking about earlier where I'm like I'm just so antsy to submit it to a certain producer but I gotta hold myself back and make sure I get some sound uh, feedback from my closer circle of, of readers before I you know use that Last, you know, you never get a second chance at a first impression moment. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's highly important. Uh, you know, just being able to, you know, give it to as many people as possible, get that feedback, and then you know, submit it to that important person, and not uh, you know, get too anxious about it in a way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't jump the gun. Uh, great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. I really appreciate it. opportunity this it, it's it's so I have to say it's just so darn cool to to finally have a, a movie that I wrote get made it is it is a, a dream come true it really is